Hello and welcome to a new episode of Don't Fuck with the Original. I am your ho I am your I am ho host Casper. Um and I'm the other ho 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 ho. You better Whoa. watch out. You better watch out. You better watch out. I'm sorry. I'm your other host, Becky Gremlin. I'm straight at a stroke. <laughs> Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays because Wednesdays are for podcasts. And apparently hoes. And strokes. Bitches and hoes. <laughs> <laughs> so guys what's up how's your week going because it's gonna be a heavy subject tonight so yeah. we gonna party yeah. and i know last week's was kind of heavy i hope everybody enjoyed it um if i pissed anybody off my oh. apologies i was about to but be not like, really <laughs> not really well i you know it got into a heavy subject and it can be and I think maybe a few spots got a little political and I did not want it to get political at all. And I didn't mean for it to get political. So if anybody took it that way, sorry, you feel that way, but (laughs) you know, it's really hard to do a subject like that and not get a little bit political. Well, I mean, if you're talking, if you're going to have a black person talk about black history, it's going to get deep, you know? And you have someone that's not black, but woke, that's gay and is an ally and everything else. Like, hashtag, get... what did I say? Hashtag black ally for life. And then I sent you a leg. A leg. I was like, whole body. Ally. <laughs> my, um, my leg, leg and all. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> it, like, it gets, it's going to get heavy. But we hope everybody took, yeah, you know. I heard some, good things. I heard I heard some good feedback. That's awesome. So some people just tend to and I totally get that, especially if you're listening to a two hour podcast, you tend to just kind of pick little sound bites here and there and not listen to the whole story of it. And then all of a sudden you've got a totally different perspective of the podcast from one little fifteen minute sound bite out of a whole two hours. So yeah, I didn't mean to offend anybody. Not my intentions, Same. but you know, we just hope you we're, guys we're not it. doing it to offend anybody. We're doing it to try to just bring awareness. Yeah, that's, I don't that's, discuss that's all politics with people. I don't no. really give a fuck about politics, but when it comes to something like race relations, especially some especially something that in this country has been such a sensitive topic, you know, yeah, we were talking about horror in relation to race, but That documentary as a whole really opens your eyes up to race relations in the country as they relate to horror as an outlet. So, you know, black people love horror too, but we want to watch it. Everybody loves horror. Everybody loves horror, but we want to watch horror. All we were, all that was really saying was, and one biggest takeaway I took from it is that, you know, everybody loves horror. Black people love horror. We wanted to watch horror as an outlet. But to watch it as an outlet, we want to feel included in that outlet and not either excluded, left out completely, or totally stereotyped. So. I want to see horror through <laughs> your eyes. I love it. <laughs> I've been waiting. Rewrite I've that. Been, I've been waiting to do that. I love it. I want to re- rewrite it right now. Like, I want to see. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So before we get into the podcast, I would like to give a massive shout out to our best friend, Carl. Mr. Brain of Blood on Twitter, if you guys do not follow him. Please go to his YouTube channel and subscribe to his YouTube channel. He yes. collects... Okay, so guys, listen to this. I'm not just saying this because he's one of my best friends. I mean, I mean this for real. He owns a toy store in Kentucky. And he collects toys as well. So he gets to go to like toy conventions and he gets to go out to do all this stuff all the time. Well, he actually got inspired from this podcast to start his own YouTube channel and show off his toys. And I love that. I love the fact that he, he, it's something he's been wanting to do for a while and he really took initiative to go do it. And I'm, I'm so proud of him, first of all. But guys, you should really go check out his YouTube channel. It's under Brain of Blood. I am going to post a link to his YouTube channel, um, probably tonight, later. But, um, it's really cool because he shows, he'll go to like yard sales and toy conventions and stuff and he'll show off the toys that he gets. And he, some of the shit he gets, I'm like, I want that. <laughs> I'm like, that's really fucking cool. He finds like horror toys and um, he sets up little, this one that he did not too long ago, it was, he set it up in black and white and he went out and did it in the snow where he basically made a... Um, yeah, I saw. I just saw it's, that it, one. I want to say claymation, but it's not a claymation. But it it's kind of made like that. I think it's sort of like in the same vein as like a robot chicken. Yeah, yeah. It was very very cool. Go check out his YouTube channel again. It's at Brain of Blood. Uh, follow him on uh, you um, Twitter at Brain of Blood, and he posts a lot about toys. He always posts about horror. And, um, yeah, he's got fifty eight subscribers right now on YouTube, guys. If you just go to YouTube and type in Brain of Blood, you'll pull him right up. Um, and if you're just an overall old school toy collector, even if it's not horror related, like it's just a really cool, uh, page to check out. And he puts a lot of work into it and we appreciate that we were able to, uh, inspire him to do that. Yeah. How fucking cool is that? So very, very cool. So Carl, keep doing your thing. Keep doing your thing. I'm going to post a, um, link to his YouTube channel later. So yep. Make sure to check that out. That way it's just easy. All you gotta do is click on it. I know how people are. They're like, oh, I don't want to type it in. I'll give you a link. Click yeah. on it and there you go. Because you you're lazy. <laughs> anyway. I mean, I'm lazy sometimes I'm too. Because I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. Five seconds later, I forget. And I don't type it in. I, I... When the DVD is five steps away from you. But Can we you talk rather... about that? How many times I've actually wanted to watch a movie that isn't streaming anywhere and I literally don't want to get up from the couch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go two steps over to the DVD yeah. stand, grab the DVD, and put it in. No, because that takes... No. <laughs> I'm like, this is American laziness at its finest. And I grew up... I'm of that generation... Me too. ...that remembers VHS tapes. I had to... And you had to rewind those motherfuckers. You had to wait... Because if you didn't have the sman- the fancy smancy little rewinder that would, you'd just stick it in there and it would zzz and rewind it for you. You had to stick it back in the VCR and wait to rewind that bitch to watch it again. Yet, and you're like, I, yet I can't take three steps and grab the DVD and put it in the fucking thing. I'm from this, I mean, I'm a little bit later in the generation you were like you, right at the still, tail you were like right at the tail end when i was though. a kid yeah. i remember putting in vhs's and having to rewind oh, them oh fuck out of here if you wanted to watch titanic again or any movie that was two tapes and somebody forgot to rewind both of them so you have to rewind both of them to watch the movie again. 
and it had to be you're channel like, three. You know what? You're like, you know what? I don't want to watch it that bad. I don't want to watch it that bad. Fuck it. I don't want to watch it that bad. To confuse all the Gen Zs out there, had to be on channel three? Yeah. <laughs> there was no input. There was no HDMI this or HDMI that or, or, just like, or, or this. No, it had to be channel three or it wouldn't work. Yep. And it was always salt and pepper wars. Yep. And you're like, if your volume was up too high and you forgot, you fucking Oh my God, off. you turned the TV you on channel three. You fucking blew out the window. You were at your neighbor's house by the time your TV was on. Because it was so fucking loud. And then if your movie's up really loud, VHS, if your movie's up really loud and you forget that the TV is really loud and it ends, fuck all, it's got channel three again. <laughs> You're like blowing out of your house. Well, there she goes. Her team Anybody was- under 25 listening to this part is like asking their parents. Or no, <laughs> it's not even, it's not even the, the fucking salt and pepper wars. Can we talk about this? Okay, everybody hates you right now. They do. It's fine. So that THX fucking sound. Oh my god. That's what I was imitating. I know. No, I knew what you were imitating. (laughs) How fucking, look how loud that got. Literally everybody. Okay, so... I'm sorry about that, but seriously, like, wearing earbuds, uh, you all just hate me right now, but everyone else is like laughing because you all fucking know that when that THX came up, you were scrambling and the the remote was always missing at that point in your life. The remote was always missing. So you're running around the living room while your ears are bleeding and you're running around the the living room trying to find the fucking remote. When literally all you have to do is just walk up to the TV and turn the volume down. (laughs) But at that point, you don't want to get close to the TV. It's so fucking loud. The room is vibrating. The neighbors are screaming. There's a child screaming. The dogs are barking. And you're like, I've, I've disturbed the dead at this point, And I can't find the fucking remote. <laughs> it ends up, it's like behind the TV. You know, it's always in the stupidest place. In the cushions, under the Every... couch. Under the fuck. I did not throw that bitch under there. Couch. How the fuck? The fucking Satan? Satan. Satan's like, oh, I'm going to put it under here. Some of the THX comes up. They can't hear anymore. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I'm sorry. I love it. Seriously, though, guys, every time we do a heavy subject matter, we always try to start you off with some laughter. And I'm really about sorry about your eardrums. <laughs> I'm sorry. If, if as soon as I started, though. though, and people knew what that was, <laughs> they knew. They're like, nope. They were out like, the oh, earbuds. no. No. I'm about to have PTSD. I can't. <laughs> like, this is. <laughs> Imagine going to your therapist. Oh, I have PTSD. Oh, from what? THX. <laughs> what? And then some people, the Gen Zs are like, thanks. No. That's not thanks. what THX. <laughs> I'd be like, and... you smack them. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just silence. Oh my God, I'm dying right now. Oh, that's amazing. That was funny. Okay. Yay. I'm excited. Um, okay, so tonight, guys, tonight. we are doing. <laughs> I was done. I was done. <laughs> she was waiting. She... she was waiting to see. I was like, wait, wait, wait. Um, that's gonna be like stuck in everybody's heads. Um, 
we are doing our episode on the Tex Arcana Moonlight Murders. So if you guys are not familiar with those murders, um, there was a movie that was made, uh, actually came out in the 70s, and then about five or six years ago, they did like kind of a reboot to it um, called The Town That Dreaded Sundown. A lot of people are familiar with The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Um, I would also just like to say, if you don't own that movie, that movie is a bitch to find. Yeah. So the original <gasps> 1976 one, that I had to one. find on a random cable channel. I That's had to pay to, find to it. rent it so, on YouTube. If if anybody <laughs> happens to go to conventions that have those like rare DVDs, I'm sure that one will be in it. And if you find a copy, grab it immediately because on any streaming services, it is super fucking hard to find. I'm actually going to look for it. it. Horror Hound this yeah. year. I'm going to look for it. It's it's one of those <laughs> like because it's 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 very nostalgic in old school horror when it comes to slashers of that time, like Halloween and whatnot. So, um, and then the fact that it was based on a true story, they shot the movie in Texarkana where the murders happened. And the movie was shot exactly 30 years after the murders happened. Yeah. It was just the, it was really crazy. And they still show the movie to this day. On Halloween. Every year. Every year, right in the middle of town. Um, so we'll start off with just like a quick synopsis of the murders. <clears throat> this was actually a term that the media coined because they all happened at night. They were a series of unsolved murders and other violent crimes committed in and around Texarkana in the spring of 46 by an unidentified serial killer that is known as the Phantom Killer or Phantom Slayer. The killer is credited with attacking eight people within 10 weeks five of whom were killed. Um, so where the name Texarkana comes from is it's right, the town is right on the border between Texas and Arkansas. So they literally just took Texas and Arkansas, shoved it together, and you got Texarkana. So I really like very, that name, though. It's very, it's different. I, I like it, too. I like it. So the town, ta- but the town actually falls, technically it would be considered Texarkana, Texas. Because I think there's a Texarkana, Texas, and a Texarkana, Arkansas. So this actually happened in Texas even though it's right on the border. And it's a fairly small town. And back in 1946, I mean, it literally looked like any town Main Street, you know? Yeah. So, but... It's really cool, the shots in the movie that they do. The shots are really... Even in the new one, and both of them. The yeah. shots that they do are really cool. Um, this is one of those times where I can honestly say I did not hate the remake. No, but one I thing really I will say is that people who have seen the movie that are unfamiliar with the murders... The only difference with the movies and the actual murders is that the murders in the movie are highly sensationalized. Like they're, they're a lot gorier and bloodier and way more over the top. Theatrical, basically. Way more theatrical. Cause obviously it's for a movie. Um, so even though the, uh, the mask and everything, the killer war and where they happened and all that kind of stuff was very real. The actual, murders themselves were made way more over the top and theatrical for the movie than what the actual murders not not that the actual murders were weren't gruesome either but not as over the top and gruesome like the trombone scene and all that (laughs) even though it's great in the original one and in the remake but that that didn't happen i mean that's my favorite kill 
you'll get so. so there's a trombone involved. A victim had right. one, but it had nothing to do with Yeah, I'm not not my favorite kill in real life because that didn't actually yeah, happen. Yeah, didn't actually like happen. How it, how it happened in the movies didn't happen. No, that's not how it happened. Right. That's right. really fucked up of me to say. Good Jesus. Yeah. Like <laughs> No, that's not how it happened. It did, but it's not how it happened, but yeah. So um It was just creative the way that they did that, but mm-hmm. regardless, that actually happened to a person. So that's really fucked up. Um, Sorry, my brain got real demented there for a minute. I kind of broke them up into, like, so the way they all, they literally all happened almost like a month after each other. Um, Do you want to read the first one or do you want me? Um, Can we also talk about the fact that the time that these murders happened is like right now? February 20th, 20th. I know. February. Yeah, they all happened between (laughs) February 22nd and... April, April, actually no, May 3rd of 1946. So, just weird. I just thought I would point that out, because today's the 26th, right? Yeah, Yeah, so it was literally like every, yeah, it was like February, March, April, and then May. So, yeah. Weird. Anyway, so on February 22nd of 1946, at around 11.45 p.m. on, I almost repeated myself, I'm sorry. (laughs) You're totally fine. Here we go, guys. Everybody's like, oh. <laughs> Casper's reading. Fuck me. <laughs> Jimmy Hollis, age 25, and his girlfriend, Mary Jean. Is it Jean? Yeah, Mary Jean Larry. Jean. Age 19, parked on a scheduled. February is the longest month that I've ever seen. <laughs> I said earlier February was the longest year of my life. Seriously. I'm just going to start over. So on February 22nd, 1946, at 11.45 p.m., Jimmy Hollis, uh, he was 25, and his girlfriend Mary Jean Larry, who was 19, parked on a secluded road known as Lover's Lane after having seen a movie together. The area was approximately about 50 feet off of Richmond Road and on unpaved street, 100 yards from the last row of city homes. Ten minutes later, around 11.55, a man wearing a white cloth mask which resembled a pillowcase with eye holes cut out appeared at Hollis's driver's side door and shined a flashlight in the window. Unsure if the man was pranking him, he told him he had the wrong person, to which the man responded, I don't want to kill you fellows, so do what I say. Both Hollis and Larry were ordered out of the driver's side door and the man ordered Hollis to take off his pants. After he complied, the man struck him in the head twice with a pistol. Thinking the assailant wanted to rob them, Larry showed him Hollis's wallet to prove he had no money, after which she was struck with a blunt object. The assailant ordered her to stand, and when she did, told her to run. Larry spotted an old car parked off the road and found it empty, and was again confronted by the attacker, who asked her why she was running. When she responded that he told her to run, she called he called her a liar before knocking her down and sexually assaulting her. After the assault, Larry fled on foot, running a half mile to a nearby house, she attempted to call a car, call for a car passing by the residence, but was ignored. Larry was able to awaken the residents of the house and phone the police. Meanwhile, Hollis had regained consciousness and managed to flag down a passerby on Richmond Road. The motorist left Hollis at the scene and drove to a nearby funeral home where he was able to call the police. Within 30 minutes, Bowie County Sheriff W.H. Bill Presley and three other officers arrived at the scene of the attack, but the assailant had already left. They found Hollis's pants 100 yards away from the parked car. Larry was hospitalized overnight for a minor head wound. 
Hollis was hospitalized for several days to recover from multiple skull fractures, but both actually survived the attack. Hollis and Larry gave conflicting reports to law enforcement as to what their attacker looked like. Larry claimed the man was wearing a white bag over his head with cutouts for the eyes and mouth, and that she could see under the mask that he was apparently African-American. Hollis alternately claimed alternately claimed the man was white and around 30 years old, but conceded that he could not distinguish his features as he had been blinded with a flashlight. Both agreed the assailant was around six feet tall. Yeah, that was a big part of the reason I think that they had such a tall actor in the movie itself. Yeah. Because that was the, really the only indistinguishable characteristic that they could get from everybody besides the cloth over the head was how tall the guy was. You know what's really fucked up too is that <laughs> His look reminds me of the strangers. The guy, the well, the, the first thing I thought before the strangers came out, which is why I wanted to do this one so close to the Zodiac Killer, was the Zodiac Killer, right? Because yeah. they both were unsolved crimes, mm-hmm. and the mask, the whole thing, the gun, the lovers lane, the whole thing, like it just, it was just too, too close, you know. And then later on with the strangers, I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that's. It had to, one had to come from the other. So, yeah. It had to, because he, not the the mother and the child, but the man, the father, he had. The main guy. Yeah, he had that look. He had a sack over his head with cutouts. With the eyes cut out. Yeah. Yeah. So So this. Oh, go ahead. Do you, do you. you, (laughs) It's like, it hit the head. I can read the next one. Yeah, go ahead. And I'll just do the third one. So, on March 24th of 1946, Richard L. Griffin, who was 29, and his girlfriend Polly Ann Moore, who was 17, were found dead in Griffin's 1941 Oldsmobile sedan between 8.30 and 9 a.m. by a passing motorist. The motorist saw the parked car on on a lover's lane named Rich Road, which was now south of Robison near Railroad. Oh, Lord. <laughs> yeah, Railroad. Rail. Rail. Fuck me. Railroad. Like, that word was just not coming out. Railroad. A railroad, I say. Spur 100 yards south of the U.S. Highway 67 West, close to a night spot called Club Dallas. That sentence ruined my life. Yeah, that was like, (laughs) I'm dead now, just because of that sentence. The motorist at first thought that both were asleep. Griffin was found between the front seats on his knees, with his head resting on his crossed hands and his pockets turned inside out. Moore was found sprawled face down in the back seat. There is evidence, however, to suggest she was killed on a blanket outside the car, then placed there. Griffin had been shot twice while in the car. Both had been shot once in the back of the head and were fully clothed. A blood-soaked patch of earth near the car suggested to police they had been killed outside the car and then placed back inside. Congealed blood was found covering the running board. Sorry. Congealed blood was found covering the running board and it had as it and it had flowed through the bottom of the car door. A 32 cartridge shell was also found, possibly shot from a Colt pistol wrapped in a blanket. No extant reports indicate that either Griffin or Moore were examined by a pathologist. In response to the murders, police launched a citywide investigation along with the Texas and Arkansas City Police, the Department of Public Safety, Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Departments, and the FBI. By March 27th, local police had interviewed around 50 to 60 witnesses, including patrons and employees of Club Dallas, a local bar near the crime scene. 
By March 30th, police had posted a $500 reward in an effort to gain any new information on the Griffin and Moore case that would lead to the arrest of the conviction of the person or persons responsible. However, the rewards yielded no fruitful clues or suspects and instead produced over 100 false leads. And see, that's the only thing that can be a downside to posting anything about a reward is because so many people just want after that reward money that they'll literally, my ex-boyfriend did it, my neighbor I hate did it, my boss I hate did it. Like, they'll just point out anybody they can because they want that reward money. I feel Um, like you shouldn't get the reward (laughs) money until the evidence that you presented concreted help. Yeah, is, if you're is, able yeah. to take those, take that as an actual lead and find something concrete behind it, then it shouldn't count because then you're just exactly running all over. The you're place just it's just a wild goose chase at, at that, that point. point. Yeah. yeah. Um. So I wanted to add real quick because we'll get into this guy in the next story, but um, Texas Ranger Captain M. T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez, uh, he was a big inspiration for Captain J. D. Morales in the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown. And uh, he was one of the lead investigators, and uh, he comes in around the time of the third attack, but he actually believed that the uh, Griffin and Moore murders were not, were a different killer. He, he, for some reason, I read a little bit into that, but he just, when they got more in depth with examining each crime scene, there was just differences that to him made him think that it was a different, I mean, besides the gun matches, made him think that it was different. So um, I just thought that was interesting because this was the first time you had actually heard of anybody dying because the other two actually Right, the other people got away, yeah. Yeah. Um, So the next attack happened in April. Um, It was on the evening of Saturday, April 13th in 1946. And it involved Betty Jo Booker, who at the time was 15. She was playing her alto sax at a regular weekly gig with her band at the uh, local VFW club on West 4th and Oak Street. At around 1.30 in the morning um, on April 14th, her friend Paul Martin, who was 17, uh, arrived to pick her up for the performance, and this was the last time that anyone had seen the pair alive. Martin's body was found at around 6.30 that morning by Mr. and Mrs. G.H. Weaver and their son lying on its left side by the northern edge of North Park Road. Blood was found further down the other side of the road by a fence. He had been shot four times, once through the nose, again through the left fourth rib from behind, a third time in the right hand, and finally through the back of the neck. Booker's body was found, was not found until approximately 11.30 a.m., almost two miles away from Martin's body behind a tree. She was found by members of the Boyd family, along with their friend, Ted Shoppy, who had joined the search party. Her body was lying on its back, fully clothed with the right hand in the pocket of the buttoned overcoat. She had been shot twice, once through the chest and once through the face. The weapon used was the same as the double murder, the 32 automatic Colt pistol. Martin's 46 Ford Club coupe was found about three miles from Booker's body and about a mile and a half away from Martin's body. It was parked outside Spring Lake Park with the keys still in it. The authorities were not sure who was shot first. Um, So Texas Ranger Captain Gonzalez, like I mentioned, and Sheriff Presley both said that examinations of the bodies indicated that they had both put up a terrific struggle. Martin's friend, Tom Albritton, said that he did not believe an argument had happened between the two and that Martin didn't have any enemies. 
Law enforcement was unable to locate Booker's saxophone at the crime scene. The saxophone was eventually discovered around six months later on October 24th, still in its black imitation leather case and underbrush near where Booker's body had been found. So in the movie, it's a trombone Mm -hmm. that's actually used to kill the fictional character, which would have been Betty Jo Booker in the actual murders. Um, an alto sax looks, an alto sax actually looks completely different than oh, a regular yeah. saxophone. So if people know what a regular trombone, if you saw the movies, you know what a trombone looks like, has the long draw stick. The, a regular saxophone, anybody watch Simpsons, at least plays a saxophone, has that scoop. But now an alto sax is actually just a straight, think Kenny G. It looks more like an oboe, actually. Almost, Yeah. 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 Even though it's not a woodwind, but it has that same, it doesn't have that like scoop, like a regular sax. It's Mm -hmm. just a straight, my dad actually played the alto sax. So (laughs) I have a cousin who played alto sax (laughs) back in high school, back in the day. Um, so yeah, it's a very different, but I can see with the way that they were wanting to sensationalize the murder in the movie, why they would have used a trombone. Cause actually that's a pretty, if anybody's seen the movie, that is a really signature kill scene mm-hmm. in the movie is the scene with the trombone. Which I kind of think it was really cool in the second and not the second in the remake. In the remake. How it was yeah, a yeah, gay yeah. couple. Yeah. That I was like that. really that, the cool. Newer one was filmed in 2013, came out in 2014, yeah. So. Also it was interracial gay couple. Yeah. I was like, ooh, are we getting progressive? Yeah. <laughs> it was really good. For as it far was. as reboots go, because basically what it told in that one is that by 2013 it was like the same same town different time but like different murders were happening based on the original murders and there was a connection there was a connection between the two so that, that was, was it, it had a decent twist i mean i gotta hand it to it it was a decent remake that was even cooler i like that and i don't even think it was a remake it was more of a reboot well what they called it say i put it in the notes they actually called it a meta sequel oh uh, okay yeah. Because it really wasn't a remake because it was re- technically, it happened after. It happened after. Yeah. But it was supposed to be based on the original murders. So. It was good. Yeah. I liked it. Um, a reward fund exceeded $1,700. Um, it was accrued for information leading to the person or persons responsible in the Griffin Moore and Martin Booker murders. Rumors circulated throughout the area with one rumor suggesting a local minister had turned in his own son as a suspect in the Martin Booker murders. On April 18th, Captain Gonzalez issued a statement to the public during a press conference verifying that the murderer had not been caught and that the rumors circulating amongst the public and the newspapers were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to innocent persons. Um, So by May, these were the final attacks that happened. Um, It was on a Friday, May 3rd, sometime before 9 p.m., Um, It involved Virgil Starks, who was 37 years old, a farmer and a welder, um, in his modest ranch-style house on a 500-acre farm off Highway 67 East, almost 10 miles northeast of Texarkana. He had turned on his favorite weekly radio show, and his wife Katie, who was 36, gave him a heating pad for his sore back. He sat in his armchair in the sitting room, which is just off the kitchen in the bedroom. While Katie was in her bedroom, I like how descriptive they are, because if you guys remember the scene from the movie... This is, you this can is watch it in close. your head. Like you're watching yeah. it in your, I'm watching it in my head right now because <laughs> I just watched the first one yesterday. Uh, while Katie was in her bedroom lying on the bed in her nightgown, she heard something from the backyard and asked Virgil to turn down the radio. Seconds later, while Virgil was reading the Texarkana Gazette, two shots 
That's a newspaper, by the way, for you youngins. We used to read newspapers. We used to read newspapers. Um, Two shots were fired into the back of his head from a closed double window three feet away. I couldn't even imagine how loud that fucking sounded. Katie didn't hear the gun shots. She instead heard what sounded like breaking glass. She thought Virgil had dropped something and went to see what happened. As she entered the doorway to the living room, she saw Virgil stand up and then suddenly slump back into his chair. She saw blood ran to him and lifted up his head. When she realized he was dead, she ran to she ran to the phone to call the police. This is going to be a really stupid question, but were silencers made back then? No, they weren't. Okay. That's why in the one with the more with the Griffin murders, why they said they found a bullet inside that blanket or towel oh, okay, he yeah. used something to wrap to around it, it as a silencer to to quiet it basically. Um she rang the wall crank phone. Oh, Lord. (laughs) So, my dad was born in 1947. My dad remembers when you had... So, basically, what wall crank phones were was you didn't have numbers. You dialed somebody. You called a party line, and they had to connect you to whoever, whatever line you were looking for. So, maybe, like, your neighbor... You had number three, and your neighbor had number four. But if your neighbor was on that line, and you were trying to call number five, you had to wait till your neighbor was done. Yeah, that's... That's how the system worked back then, kids. Um, And now we have cell phones where it's all just in the air. It did just floating. Uh, She rang the wall crank phone. Right here's a call. (laughs) Two times before being shot twice in the face from the same window. Um, So this is literally while she's on the phone, she got shot in the face. The bullet entered her right cheek and then exited right behind her left ear. The other went just below her lip breaking her jaw and splintering out several teeth before lodging under her tongue. She dropped to her knees, but managed to get back on her feet. She ran to get a pistol from the living room, was bu- but was blinded by her own blood. She heard the killer tearing loose the rusted screen wire on the back porch. She thought she was going to be killed, so she stumbled toward her bedroom near the front of the house to leave a note. Meanwhile, the killer ran to the back of the house and made his way to the steps into the... Into the side screen porch through the back screen door. She heard the killer coming through the kitchen window, so she turned around and ran through the dining room, through the bedroom, down the hallway, through another bedroom, then into the living room at the front door, leaving behind a virtual river of blood and teeth throughout the house and across the street. Barefoot and still... I mean, could you guys imagine... You're losing your blood and your teeth and you're just trying to live. You're literally, like, holding your face on. As blood and teeth are just, and the bullet is lodged under her tongue this whole time. And all she's thinking about is trying to leave a note. I'm like, bitch, the fuck? You better run across the street. (laughs) That's some, that's some fucking shit. That would be that one person in the horror movie that's like, oh, I gotta leave a note. As I'm holding my face on. Like, (laughs) so she did manage to run across the street to her sister and brother-in-law's house. Uh, No one was home. She ran another... 50 feet to another neighbor's home by the name of A.V. Prater. And when Prater answered her call for help, all she could gasp was Virgil's dead, and then she collapsed. Prater shot a rifle in the air to summon another neighbor, Elmer Taylor. Prater called to Taylor to bring his car because Mr. and Mrs. Starks had been shot. Taylor, along with Mr. and Mrs. Prater and their baby, rode with Mrs. Starks to Michael Meager Hospital, which is now Miller County Health Unit. Mrs. Starks gave Mr. Taylor the driver one of her teeth with a gold filling. She was in a semi-conscious state, slumping forward in the front seat. Although she lost a considerable amount of blood, she showed no signs of going into shock, and her heart remained normal. That's, that's, that, that's that is lot. what kept her alive. 
That is what kept her alive. Yeah. Because the harder your your heart pumps, the more blood is pumping out. So you're going to be losing more and more and more and more blood. Somehow so her, she stayed her calm. Her staying calm is what saved her life. Um, Miller County Sheriff W.E.B. W.E. Davis, who became head of the investigation, questioned Mrs. Starks in the operating room. The news was printed on the front page the next morning, uh, which was Saturday, May 4th, and it read, Murder, Rock City again, farmer slain, and wife wounded. Four days later, Sheriff Davis talked with Mrs. Starks again at the hospital. Mrs. Starks discounted a circulating rumor that Virgil had heard a car outside their home several nights in a row and feared being killed. So that was a rumor. Um... So basically, yeah, just all led to the fact that these were completely random. And then we get into the actual description of the killer himself and where the phantom killer name came from. Me? Yeah. The phantom killer. I, let me start over. The phantom killer. The unknown killer did not acquire a nickname until after the death of Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. In the April 16th edition of the Texarkana Daily News, a heading read, Phantom Killer Eludes Officers as Investigations of Slayings Pressed. The front page story was continued on page two with the title, Phantom Slayer Eludes Police. The Texarkana Gazette contained a small title on April 17th, which read, Phantom Slayer Still at Large as Probe Continues. Excuse me, J.Q. Uh, Mahaffey. Thank you. Executive editor of the Texarkana Gazette in 1946 said that Calvin Sutton, the managing editor of the Gaz- managing editor of the Gazette, had an ac- excuse me had an acute sense for the dramatic in the Casper's news. Casper's body is doing all kinds. Of There's stuff, a yeah. lot happening right now. You guys know me. Had an acute sense for the dramatic in the news, which impelled him to ask if they could not start referring to the unknown murderer as the Phantom. Mahaffey replied, why not? If the son of a bitch continues to elude capture, he certainly can be called a phantom. Basically, a point. yeah. yeah. Y'all seen the Phantom of the Megaplex? You remember that Disney movie? That Halloween Disney movie? The Phantom no. of the Megaplex? No, where don't. he was kind of dressed up like Scream. He was actually kind of dressed up like Ghostface. But I think it was like a trash bag or something. Anyway, I don't know. I just thought about that. I love it. I'm like, I don't know. Really that bad. that wasn't necessarily my generation. That was like between us, because I know it came out before me, but it was. See, I went through a period though of no cable. Ah, so when we had basic cable, you got Nickelodeon and no. See, that's how you were able to tell certain '90s kids into like the 2000s, the one that had cable and the one that didn't. Because if you had cable, you got Disney. If you had basic, you got Nickelodeon. So a lot of Nickelodeon shit I remember around the Disney time because we didn't have cable. <laughs> Because that shit was expensive. Well, Nickelodeon I mean, still is, is still amazing. But, so. uh, yeah. I don't even have cable. Still, I don't even have cable now. Description and MO. The victims of the first attack, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry, were the only victims to give a description of their attacker. They described him as being six feet tall, wearing a white mask over his face, with holes cut out, and eyes, and eyes for a mouth. That's eyes terrifying. Eyes without a face. Let me think of that for some reason. I'm over here like, y'all seen Phantom of the Megaplex? <laughs> Although Hollis believed he was a young, dark-tanned white man under 30 years old, Larry believed he was a light-skinned African-American. The only other surviving victim was Katie Starks, but she never saw her assailant. Because Hollis and Larry were the only survivors to give a description, it cannot be known if the killer wore a mask during the other attacks. 
The modus operandi established for the killer was that he attacked young couples in empty or private areas just outside the city limits, limits using a 32 caliber gun. Although the caliber used in the Starks murder was a 22, it was still believed by the majority of lawmen to have been used by the Phantom. He always attacked on the weekend, usually three weeks apart and always late at night. <clears throat> Makes you wonder why. Like, they never caught him, so we can't, we will never know, but, like, why? Why did Why did you have to do it, ev- like, he had a specific time frame? Well, I think that's why, I mean, the only reason why I can think of that they caught, that they called them, well, I mean, I could, that could give part of the reason why they called them the Moonlight Murderers. Yeah. You know, and that's the, I mean, cover of night, I guess. That's the only thing I can think of. It's just of. The, t- the week. Why the three weeks apart? It's just very weird to me. I don't know. Weird. <clears throat> anyway, that was mostly what I was thinking when I was like, it was just, it was the week, not necessarily nighttime, because, you know, during that time, that's kind of like your cover. No one's going to see your face. But why three weeks apart? You know, I'm curious to see if anybody would ever think of him. I mean, we'll get into a little bit. I'm this criminal profile that was done for him. Um, I'm like what he was done like shortly after the murders, but I'm almost curious if somebody would take like a different view of it and look at it. Um, now like in relation to, um, you know, cause this has been known, like, were there different phases of the moon? Was he doing it because one night was a full moon and one night was a new moon? Did it have something to do with that? Because there are some killers that will do that kind of thing. Zodiac, they'll, they'll, you know, certain seasons or whatever, they'll say will control why they murder or when they murder or whatever. So if that that's, has something to do with it. That's very possible. Yeah. Possibly. So, um. So, like, the elements kind of played into play, it, Played a role into yeah. it, yeah. So, this criminal profile of him that we'll get into by this doctor was done not too long after the murders happened. Um, but what Captain Gonzalez stated, uh, his, him and his officers were dealing with, in, in his description of the Phantom Killer, was someone who was shrewd, who had left no stone unturned to conceal his identity and activities and that his efforts were both clever and baffling. He also stated that the man they were hunting was a cunning individual who would go to all lengths to avoid apprehension. After Virgil Starks was murdered, the majority of the 47 officers on the case unofficially believed that the killer's motives were sex-related, that he may have been a sex maniac or was believed to be a sex pervert. Um, Little did they know that was the beginning of... Which sometimes, I mean, can be, I mean, and, and as we know, when we like back way back when we did our Carl Panzeram episode, a lot of times sex has nothing to do with actual sex. It's about power. It's about control. Who was I talking to the other day? I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they were talking, we were talking about rape. I don't remember. I don't remember who it was or what we were talking about, but we were talking about rape. And, um, they were like, yeah, well, they had to been like obsessed with these women or whatever. And like, I was like, you know, rape 99% of the time has absolutely nothing to do with sex. 
Yeah, no. I was like, it's actually a power trip. Exactly. And they were like, oh, that's yeah. actually a good point. And I'm like, no, it's not a good point. It's how it is. I'm no, like, you, what, you don't rape somebody because you want to have sex it, with no, them. No. Maybe one every great once in a while. Nine times out of ten, though, it's because they want to have power over them. Right. Nothing to do with the sex itself. Yeah, what way can I weaken you the most? What way can I... You know, or like in Carl Panzeram's case, how can I emasculate another man? Because he wasn't gay. The worst. Raping him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um. Anyway, go on. Even though the only, I think, well, so going back though, um, even though the only victim that was actually sexually assaulted was Larry when, uh, the murders of, um, Griffin and Moore happened. Uh, Polly, there was so I don't, I can't remember if they actually did some type of sexual assault kit on Polly Ann Moore, but it was rumored that Polly Ann Moore may have also been sexually assaulted. But I think years later, that's been disputed if she was or not. So, case in point, we can say at least we can probably say that two women were sexually assaulted, and uh, but again. Sex would have nothing to do with that. It would all be about control. It would be, you know, for that reason. Um, on May 5th of 46, the headline in the edition of the Texarkana Gazette read, Sex Maniac Hunted in the Murders. Also, was it, I don't know if this was ever said, but was it post-mortem? Or was it, did, did they ever point not, it out if it was post-mortem or not? With Polly Ann Moore, no. No, they didn't say if it or was with or not. Larry. So that could have been... Uh, Larry had happened before. She didn't die. Larry didn't die. That's right. She didn't die. She was shot. She was. She didn't. More, I think that may have been part of the reason why, because it would have been hard to kind of tell in 46 after the body was already dead, if she was sexually assaulted before or after she died. So I think that was, I think that's why that was kind of rumored. Um, so, uh, Sheriff William Bill H. Presley at the scene of Virgil Starks will never not get old this killer is the luckiest person i have ever known no one sees him hears him in time or can identify him in any way officers have said that the killer is apparently a maniac who is an expert with a gun victim survivor jimmy hollis said i know he's crazy the crazy things he said made me feel that in his mind that his mind was warped the texarkana gazette stated that if one and the same man is responsible for the five murders that have been committed in this vicinity since March 24th, the Gazette feels that the public should know that the type of man with which the community is dealing with. That thought in mind, the newspaper asked Dr. LaPala for the following interview. So Dr. Anthony LaPala, um, who was a psychologist at the Federal Correctional Institute in Texarkana at the time, when he gave the interview, was given only in the interest of the public and his intent was not to alarm any um, one unduly, but to give everyone the benefit of what's considered an expert opinion as to the mental behavior of the man sought in these crimes. Uh, so Dr. Lopala believed at the time that the killer was planning to continue to make unexpected attacks, such as the one of Virgil Starks, on the outskirts of town. He also believed that the same person committed all of the murders and the attacks. Further, he believed the killer's age was somewhere between his mid-30s and 50. He said that the killer was apparently motivated by a strong sexual desire, that he was a sadist, 
and that the person would commit such crimes is intelligent, clever, shrewd, and will not be apprehended. According to LaPala's theories, the killer knew at all times what was being done in the investigation and knew that vacant roads were being patrolled, which is why he chose the house on a farmland. He pointed out that his statements were surmised theories that were based on a large number of people who have committed similar crimes. He said that in many cases, the killer is never apprehended, and in some instances, he will divert attention to other communities where it is believed that the crimes are committed by a different individual, or else he will overcome the desire to kill and assault people. LaPaula said that the murderer is probably not a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that he could be leading a normal life, appearing to be a good citizen. Hey, that was basically like BTK. He also said that the killer probably is not a veteran because he had served in the armed forces for even a year. His maniacal tendencies would have been apparent. Uh, he stated that the murderer was not necessarily a resident of the area, despite his knowledge of it. He said that all the attacks show evidence of cool and cunning planning. He further said that the strength, strengthening of the police force would not scare the killer away, but that he would willingly leave due to the difficulty of committing the crime. This man is extremely dangerous. He works alone. No one knows what he is doing because he tells no one. LaPaula said, adding that the killer may have reasoned past crimes that the only way to remain unidentified is to kill all persons at the scene. Um, you know, this would make perfect sense, especially in the latter part of Dr. LaPaula's description of him. Um, the best way that you're, I mean, I hate to say this, but really the best way that you're, that you could ever get away with a murderer is to A, be someone you don't know, and B, don't fucking tell anybody. No you one. You do it alone, you act alone, you keep it alone. You take that shit to the grave, son. Like, you don't tell fucking anybody. And I think that's why murders like this, Zodiac, went unsolved, because those motherfuckers did what they did and didn't tell anybody. Anybody. And they also did it at a time... Where I hate to say it, but if you go back to the Bundy murders, you know, because different districts and states and counties and stuff weren't weren't in connection with others the way they are now, it was a perfect time between the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. It was almost the perfect time to commit a crime, especially if you did it and switch between states because nobody communicated with anybody. You didn't have cell phones. You didn't have, I mean, there was just such, there were so many different ways to cover your tracks but the biggest thing, like I said, is it's people you don't know and you don't say a fucking word. So that makes a lot of sense. This guy was going to get away with it. He didn't say shit. He planned these out. He knew what he was doing. He he made sure he caught people at the right time. Yeah, I, mean, I think it makes, it makes sense because he went from roads and more public areas to the final murder being done at a farmhouse where you're 500 miles away from... God knows who, you know, and it's just a miracle that uh, Katie lived, that Mrs. Sparks lived, you know, after what she had to go through. So, but, um, so there was, there were, I only focused on, because this would have taken forever. There were several different suspects over time for these Texarkana murders. Um, obviously, like we mentioned, there were a lot of false leads. There were a lot of reports that came in because of the rewards between the, between the uh, four that were murdered. Um, but there was really only one key prime suspect. And, um, 
we kind of go down to how he became a suspect and what led them to believe that some of the circumstantial evidence and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, if you guys, we got all our source from Wikipedia for this one. If you guys want to check out the Wikipedia page, you can see that there was a whole host of different suspects around. I mean, some more plausible than others, some that were way outside the box, but this guy seemed to really fit a mold if ultimately he ended up not being the one that they thought he was, or maybe, because actually Captain Gonzalez believed up until he died that uh, this guy was the one that did it even though all the evidence they had was circumstantial and that's what fucking sucks in cases like this. It really does. When it's so circumstantial that you're like, same with Zodiac. Yeah, like you really can't. Yeah, same with Zodiac. There's nothing you can do about it. There's really nothing you can do about it. You Because you can't, you can't take a case like that, like both of these, to trial with just circumstantial evidence. Yeah, you're just, you're looking at They gotta have concrete. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Just too much. So, Max Tackett, a 33-year-old Arkansas State Police officer, a rookie at the time, realized that a car had been stolen on the night of one of the murders, and that a previously stolen car had been found abandoned. On Friday, June 28, 1946, Tackett found a car in the parking lot that had been reported as stolen, and he staked out the car until someone came back to it. Then arrested a 21-year-old woman, Peggy Swinney. She said that she had just gotten married in Shreveport, but that her husband was currently in Atlanta, Texas. Atlanta, Texas trying to sell another stolen car. Homer Carter, the chief police in Atlanta, told Tackett that a man had tried selling a stolen car to one of his citizens. Tackett asked the citizen if he would recognize the suspect, but the man said he would not. Tackett noticed that the citizen had a distinct appearance, which included a cowboy hat and boots. Tackett told the citizen you wouldn't recognize him, but he would recognize you. Tackett then asked the citizen if he would be willing to walk with him into several public places. Tackett had the idea that the suspect would not want to see the citizen and would not want to see the citizen and would try to avoid him. On a Saturday in July, Tackett walked into the Arkansas Motor Coach bus station on Front Street near Union Station with the citizen. Tackett saw a man run out of the back of the building. Tackett chased after him and caught him on the fire escape. The man, U.L. Sweeney, would not talk, but his wife Peggy confessed in great detail that he was the phantom killer and that he had killed Betty Jo Booker and Paul Martin. By law, in 1946, Peggy could not be forced to testify against her husband, and because she was considered an unreliable witness, Ewell was not arrested for the murder. Instead, with only circumstantial evidence, Swinney was sent to prison as a habitual offender for car theft. Here's some circumstantial evidence for you. The car that Peggy Swinney was arrested for stealing was the one reported missing on the night of the Griffin Moore murders. When Tackett caught Ewell Swinney on the fire escape, Swinney said, Please don't shoot me. Tackett replied, I'm not going to shoot you for stealing cars. Swinney then replied, Mister, don't play games with me. You want me for more than stealing cars. When Ewell was in the police car, he asked Chief Deputy Tillman Johnson, Mr. Johnson, what do you think they'll do to me for this? Will they give me the chair? Johnson responded with, You won't get much, maybe five or ten years. They don't give you the electric chair for stealing cars. Sweeney, Swinney then said, Mr. Johnson, you got me for more than stealing cars. Clearly, they got him for more than stealing cars. <laughs> right, exactly. He keeps saying that. When a lawyer told Peggy that her husband was being held for murder, she exclaimed, how did they find out? That's not circumstantial enough. Well, I'm telling you, yeah. Peggy took officers near the spot where Paul Martin's car was found. She said she had walked into the woods there. The officers found a woman's heel prints in that area. Peggy's family and Yoel's brother-in-law believed Yoel was the phantom. Police found a khaki 
work shirt in the suspect's room with a laundry mark of the word Stark, which was read under a black light. In the front pocket of the work shirt, slag was found, which matched samples found in Virgil Stark's wedding welding shop. Yule Swinney pre- previously owned a 32 caliber Colt automatic, but has sold it in a craps game. While being accused of murder, Swinney remained silent instead of pleading his innocence. Peggy Swinney confessed to her husband's actions, revealing very detailed information, including some information officers already knew and some they did not. So he clearly told, if it was really this guy, he did tell his wife or she was with him when it happened. When it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, The complications were that Ewell's fingerprints did not match any of the late Latin prints of the Booker Martin crime scene. Peggy Swinney recanted her confession. The Texas Rangers and Sheriff Bill Presley were not convinced that Swinney was the Phantom. Swinney denied being the Phantom and never made a confession. Officers including Bowie County Sheriff Presley, Muller County Sheriff Davis, Texas City Chief of Police Runnels, and both state police departments worked day and night for six months trying to validate Peggy Swinney's story of her and her husband's whereabouts. They deducted, they deduced... That Peggy was not telling the truth and that on the night of the murder of Booker and Martin, the couple was sleeping in their car under a bridge near San Antonio. Unknown as either a sick prank or a true confession, an anonymous woman contacted family members of the two victims, one in 99 and the other in 2000, apologizing for what her father had done. Yule Swinney was not known to have ever had a daughter. Yeah, so that's knows, insane. Who knows what that could have been. But yeah, I mean, who who knows if Peggy Swinney just... Her and Yola had a very strange relationship, and who knows if one day she just got sick of him and decided to say this, or if he really did do something, she decided to go against him and then later recanted because she was scared for her own safety. Because even though a lot of that is pretty damn good evidence, it's still circumstantial because if none of his... His fingerprints if, didn't if match. His fingerprints matched, and she recanted her confession, and they were never able to validate that he was where these murders happened. I mean, again, like we said, you cannot go. Those phone calls are fucking. Just those are what get me circumstantial alone. But yeah, how? Why would you be so sick to do? If he never, if it's never been reported that him and Peggy ever had children, why would you be so sick as to say that you were his child and then go on to apologize for murders that you're saying this man committed when you have no idea? Or it wasn't him and it was his actual daughter. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? So... She ain't gonna tell him shit. This goes into a little bit of information uh, more about Texas Ranger Captain Manuel Gonzalez. He was known as the Lone Wolf. Um, I'm centralizing more around him as the as one of the lead investigators in this case. We've mentioned a lot of other cops um, in and around different counties that uh, the murders happened. But um, the reason why I'm just focusing on Captain Gonzalez most, again, like I mentioned, is that um, the lead investigator in the town that dreaded sundown is J.D. Morales, and that's who uh, J.D. Morales was based on, was Captain Gonzalez. Um, He was born July 4th in 1891 in Spain to parents who were naturalized American citizens. He married in 1920, became a Texas Ranger that same year. 
He was in charge of controlling gambling, bank robbery, bootlegging, narcotic trafficking, prostitution, riots, and general lawlessness from the Red River to the Rio Grande, from El Paso, Texas, to the Sabine during the 20s and 30s. He made captain of the Company B Texas Rangers in 1940. And in 1946, while hunting the Phantom Killer, he swore to stay in Texarkana until the killer was apprehended. But then he left three months later after the last murder. Um, he believed that Hollis and Larry, he believed that Hollis and Larry's attacks were not committed by the Phantom. He also believed that someone else murdered Virgil Starks. Gonzalez retired from the Rangers in 1951 and moved to Hollywood to become a technical consultant for radio, television, and motion pictures. Most notably, a 1950s radio and TV show that was called Tales of the Texas Rangers. Gonzalez, who was a Mason and a Presbyterian, died of cancer on February 13, 1977 at the age of 85 in Dallas, Texas. He is buried in Dallas, Texas at Sparkman Hillcrest Memorial Park. Um, J.Q. Mahaffey, who we mentioned earlier, who was the Texacana uh, Gazette editor, stated that after the murders of Virgil Starks, um, the police specifically, uh, Gonzalez declared that the farmhouse remained off limits to everybody. He, quote, stated that several nights later, he was holding forth in the Arkansas police station when a call came through that a neighbor had seen strange lights in the farmhouse. We sped to the scene and hid behind a car while police chief Tackett and three other patrolmen approached the house. Chief Tackett yelled into the house that the place was surrounded and the phantom might as well give up. Who do you suppose walked out? None other than Lone Wolf Gonzalez of the Texas Rangers and a woman photographer of life and times. He explained that he had been reenacting the crime scene and that uh, the young lady was taking pictures. Police Chief Tackett turned to me and shot at the top of his voice, Mahaffey, you can quote me as saying that the phantom murders will never be solved until Texarkana gets rid of big city press and the Texas Rangers. Um, well, it wasn't long after that that he did leave. Uh, unfortunately, uh, some of the local police, their biggest issue with Gonzalez is that they felt like he, you know, and maybe parts of that could be true because he did go on after he retired from the Rangers to go to Hollywood and work in Hollywood as a technical consultant. But it was believed by a lot of the officers at the time during the Texarkana murders that he really played up to the media a lot and made a lot of the investigation all around him and how the big, powerful Texas Rangers were going to capture this killer. And it kind of made the local police look a little stupid, like they didn't know what they were doing or maybe weren't as involved, even though clearly they were because they had had the FBI and everything. Um, but yeah, you know, like I said, I really kind of wanted to point more around him because if you saw the movies, uh, J.D. Morales' character is directly related to uh, Captain Gonzalez's character. Um, well, what about uh, the show Walker, Texas Ranger? Was it Chuck Norris? That was Chuck Norris. It was Chuck Norris? That show. <laughs> that show was out around the same time Dr. Quinn so was. Do you remember Dr. Quinn? Dr. Quinn, Medicine Woman? Yes. Girl? I loved Dr. Jane Quinn. Jane Seymour? Wait, is Dr. Kidding? Quinn based, is Harley Quinn based off no, Dr. No, Quinn? definitely not. Did she just go insane? <laughs> definitely no, I'm not. I'm just kidding. <laughs> became a frontiers woman? <laughs> oh my God, Harley Quinn is a frontiers woman. I cannot, I can't even like picture that, like in my mind. I can't even. Weirdest crossover ever. Um, da -da 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 -da. But there's still such a thing as Texas Rangers. That is still an actual. I think that was the That Waltons. is still an actual thing. Yeah, that was the Waltons. I'm sorry, that <laughs> You're was like, right. I'm sorry. 
But Texas Rangers are still an actual thing. Um, even more recently, there was a, oh, that, uh, I cannot think of her name, but there was a local murder that happened here in Westchester some years back because, well, the girl was from Westchester, but then it took a while before they found her body. Uh, and then, but the Texas Rangers were actually involved even in that because, um, sometimes they get involved when it comes to like bringing in horses and equine. I don't want to say her name either guys in case we fuck this up. Cause this was a local case and I don't want to fuck that name up, but, um, yeah, they even got involved with that. So yeah, the Texas Rangers are still very much a thing. It's just that, uh, even more so back then and around like the forties and fifties, I mean, they were like, they thought they were just like top dog of the law. Um, former Texas Rangers were the ones that caught, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, there's a great movie on Netflix about, uh, with Woody Harrelson and, um, what is that movie called? Does something Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner, Woody Harrelson and Kevin Costner. It sounds familiar. Yeah. I'll tell you, but, uh, yeah, they play text. They play the, t- the, they were retired Texas Rangers who came out of retirement and ultimately led the team that killed Bonnie and Clyde. Can we just talk so. about Woody Harrelson? Cause I love Woody Harrelson. I love Woody Harrelson. Love Woody Harrelson. <laughs> so guys, so shout the, out to Woody Harrelson. Even Woody Harrelson. Shout Woody out Chuck Norris. <laughs> shout out Doctor Quinn. Because I don't shout, remember your real shout name. Shout out Jane, Jane Seymour. Was her Jane real name? Seymour. Yeah, shout out Jane Seymour. Touched by an angel was on during she that does, time too. Do you remember she that does show? The, oh, my grandma. <laughs> that was grandma's show. Touched by an angel. Was touched Roma Downey and yep. My mom. My mom oh my and dad God. We used to watch all three of those shows and then Seventh Heaven and then come to find out that guy was a nasty. Oh my God! Show. We're not even gonna talk. <laughs> Whole another show about Seventh Heaven. I gotta talk about this though because it's fucking hilarious. So I get home right. Has nothing to do with Seventh Heaven though. <laughs> Actually, it does. Oh crap! So okay. like, I come home and my roommate's like, so I keep hearing this loud music. And she's like, so I decided to mute the TV and try to figure out where it was coming from. She's like, so I mute the TV and I hear, where can you go? And I was like, she's like, our neighbors were watching Seventh Heaven and had it turned up really loud. I guess they were jamming to the theme song. But she's like, I'm sitting there going, when the word don't treat you right. The answer is hot. <laughs> I have no references, guys. I never, ever watched that show. Never wanted to watch that show. And now knowing what I know about yeah. that guy, I'm glad I didn't. So <laughs> The only thing that that show truly had was Jessica Biel. God there you bless go. Jessica Biel. That, God bless that show for giving us Jessica Biel. And her abs in Blade 3. Anyway. Uh, so <laughs> and just Jessica Biel in, just in general. Because Jessica Biel's everything. Um, but I had to share that because I was like, could you imagine listening, watching Seventh Heaven so loudly that your, your neighbors can hear the music? Or just any show for that matter. Lucy always, oh, that well, really... I was like, Lucy drove me crazy, but you don't even know. Nope. You saw too. The girl, the, the young girl. I know who yeah, Barry Hirsch. Piper or Pepper or the guy that's in it or whatever his fucking name I know all the people that were on the show. Yeah. Blonde girl. Like, I know that. The one... Ooh, the one blonde kid. What the fuck happened to him? Simon? Did he... No. The kid. Oh, the blonde kid, kid kid. The little kid kid. I have no fucking... He's I one for, of them that, like, I forgot fell he existed. Off. He's one of them... <laughs> He's one of them we don't know. 
I always remember Ruthie because I was told I looked like Ruthie when I was a kid. <laughs> He's one I'm, of them from the nineties. We have if anybody no was younger than Ruthie, happened. I don't have a fucking. I don't. I don't fucking remember. I don't remember. I remember Simon, Ruthie, Mary, and Matt. That's it. Well, if they're none that we don't hear of, today, and Catherine Hicks because Child's Play. So I. <laughs> was she the mom? The mom. Yeah. She. Holy shit! The mom on that show was the mom from Child's Play. What the fuck? How do you think I felt when I saw Child's Play for the first time? That's hilarious. I saw Child's Play for the first time when I was like, Seventh Heaven Mom, what the fuck is this? You also have to remember you and I grew up very differently. That's why it's so funny. Because like, would never have been a show I would have watched. I never would have watched a show about a preacher's family. I never. And I'm putting out, I just never, ever would have watched a show. Oh, Here, I want to hear the funny part about it. So my parents loved that show, right? So I just watched it with them. And then when the show started getting a little quote-unquote raunchy, where, like, the kids were getting older. Jesse Beale showed um, the belly button. <laughs> raunchy. That. And that Christian uh, Lucy became a preacher, so they were against that, because, you know, a woman preacher Uh-oh. is not in the Bible. Yeah. Um, the KJV specifically. Also, Ruthie was starting to rebel and Mary was a big rebel because she just went away from the religion and became a person. So the show got realistic. So the show got (laughs) too raunchy quote unquote for me. So they stopped watching it. They stopped watching it because they didn't want me to be influenced. And I'm like, well, 26 and a lesbian later. Let's see. (laughs) I just think this goes to show that more parents that shelter their children, you really are not. It's just not. I mean, not that I even cared. I didn't even really care about Seventh Heaven that much, but I enjoyed it. It was something I did with my family. It was like, yeah. I enjoyed it. I was like, I would rather watch Touch by an Angel, though. So I said, I never would have watched Touch by an Angel on my own, but Grandma and Grandpa had to watch Touch by an Angel. And <laughs> after Grandpa died, Grandma had to watch Touch by an Angel. Always. It was like... <laughs> That was a really cute show. It was though. cute, yeah. I mean, you it know, was cute. like it was a really cute show. And Roma Downey and Mark Burnett, who she's married to Mark Burnett now, they've done. Oh my God, they do some amazing Christian programming, though. Like those guys have, re- like, yeah, I commend them a lot for what they've done. You know, because I mean, I still feel like stuff like that's relevant and should yeah. be around. And even though, and again. A lot of things in context, you don't necessarily have to be quote unquote quit Christian to enjoy them. Yeah. And I can still watch Touch by an Angel to this day. And it's a lot nostalgic. of that in con- a lot of that show in context, you really didn't have to be Christian. It just had a really good positive message behind it. I enjoyed Touch by an Angel. It was a positive, it was a nice positive little show. Yeah, which again I think is something that Seventh Heaven was probably probably trying to do. But I mean, they couldn't do it. The fucking father was a pedophile. Yeah, guys, Google them. When that shit came out, I was like, oh my god. I was like, I'm never watching Seven Heaven. Yeah, again. like ever, right? So I started sneaking One Tree Hill. <laughs> Did you see the One Tree? Did you see the reunion? Can we talk? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> you guys are guys. We're almost done anyway. We're just gonna talk about. Nine, uh, 90s sitcoms for a second. <laughs> like, we're just going to talk. Listen, I don't care. I'm a- Can we also talk about how that cast has aged impeccably and they all damn near look better looking now than what they did then? Can we also talk about how fucking hot Hillary Burton and Chad Michael Murray are? And I said it. Can we talk? Uh, Sophia Bush. And I said 
girl. <laughs> and we got the same name, too. I'm just saying. Like, Even um, James Lafferty, who was on Oculus. Yeah. I, I literally saw him in Oculus, yes. and I was like, um, Nathan Scott. <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> just makes me wish. I was like, before. Nebula and Nathan Scott. What is happening here? I'm like, what is this film? <laughs> just makes me wish I would have watched One Tree Hill more. I feel like that's a show I would go back and watch now. I'm, I'm actually going back. I'm doing a thing where I'm this year where I'm re-watching shows that I either never, like older shows that I either never watched or hadn't watched in years just to gain like a whole new perspective mm -hmm. of them. And I'm starting off with Twin Peaks. I need to re I need to watch all of Twin Peaks. I haven't seen all of it. I haven't seen all of it. I watched the first episode this morning and I was like, oh, this is why this show was everything. Still mad about that restaurant. Right? Anyway. <laughs> but no, y'all, listen, I love my horror movies, and I love, God, do I love them, but One Tree Hill has, like, this, just this special place in my heart that, like, I can't. Chad Michael Murray's really hot. I mean, that's not the reason for me. <laughs> I know, not you, but I'm just, like. I'm over here, like, gay as fuck. I was, Damn like, hating all the way. But... Damn it, Andy. I hadn't seen Chad Michael Murray in anything in years. And then your, like, really awesome movie had to come out, and he's in it. Well, as soon as I and heard... hot. <laughs> as soon as I heard what? Uh, Chad Michael Murray and Danielle Harris, I was like, I am so <laughs> on board with You this. and me both. <laughs> like, I didn't even have to hear what the movie was about. I was just like, Chad Michael Murray and Danielle Harris, yes. I was like, my nostalgic One Tree Hill child side and my gay ass, <laughs> even nostalgic child side because Wish Upon a Star, I mean, like... Tiny ass Daniel Harris in that movie when I was growing up and seeing her in that. The Halloween movies were and the first that, ones I saw her in. Well, I saw her in that later because, you know. Parents. Well, yes. Yeah. Right. But parents. <laughs> parents. Childhood. <laughs> but I, I will never forget a memory I have with my best friend where we watched. Uh, it was Annie when we sat down in the morning and watched Wish Upon a Star. And I was like, oh my God, she's so little. <laughs> And then I was like, like her now, like seeing her in all these horror movies, I was like, my nostalgic side and my current side are colliding and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to mention the girl who played on Funhouse Massacre, who I'm obsessed with. Dollface. Yeah. That, yeah. That, like I said, just those two alone, I didn't even need to know what the movie was about. And then I found out what the movie was about and I was like, um, so you took two of my favorite, like, actors and then you took a concept that basically took Grave Encounters and, like, Friday the, Friday the 13th and just shoved them together. And I'm like, what is happening? Cam Colbrook's amazing, by the way, guys. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> beyond amazing. It's so good. But yes, One Tree Hill, watch One Tree Hill. Yeah, please, watch One Tree Hill. So with the um, Town That Dreaded Sundown, every October near Halloween, it is the original one, which was made in 76, is... And it's, you know, loosely based on the murders. It's it's decently accurate. Like we said, but it's, it's, it's pretty decently, really, like we said, guys, the only difference is that the murders, the actual yeah, murders. they're just way more dramatized. It's the only thing. Um, but it's actually shown to the public every single Halloween um, during movies in the park at either Spring Lake Park or at Southwest Center in Texarkana. The event is free and it's sponsored by the Texarkana Department of Parks and Recreation. I'm over here like Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> Get on your feet. <laughs> That's exactly. <laughs> Get up 
probably the funniest scene on TV television that's ever happened. Ever happened. And now I can't ever hear that song again. It'll like randomly come on 80s on 8. And I'm like, no. Because I'm hysterically laughing in the car. Like tears. I can't drive because I can't see. So I'm like, I have to turn this. I have to turn this off. Such a great show. That scene and the scene from The Office where what's his name spills the chili and I... <laughs> so many scenes from The Office. So many. So the Town of Dreaded Sundown is a 1976 American slasher film directed and produced by Charles B. Pierce, written by Earl Smith, and the film, like we had mentioned, was loosely based on the murders. The crimes attributed to an unidentified serial killer who was known as the Phantom Killer. It was narrated by Vern Stearman, who had previously narrated Pierce's 1972 film, The Legend of Boggy Creek. <laughs> yes! Yeah, so basically, Pierce <laughs> grew up in Arkansas, wrote Boggy Creek. Boggy Creek came out in 73, and then the money that he made off of The Legend of Boggy Creek, he used to make and film The Town of Dreaded Sundown. Which I want to talk about Legend of Boggy Creek because I'm a, I am was obsessed with that film. I still love it, but I watched it for the first time in 12 years. And I was like, this movie is not as good as I remember. It's, you know what? It was made in 1973 and it was this guy's first movie. So Kudos like, to him for that, You have though. to take all of that into account and then watch it. It's like, not terrible. It's yeah, really no. not. For the time it was made, I just, I was like, I swear to God, I remember it being so breathtakingly amazing. And then I watched it again and I was like, it's okay. <laughs> it fits a nostalgia. It does. It really does. I feel like yeah. it hit again when I watch it. So Ben, ben Johnson stars as Captain J.D. Morales, the fictionalized version of Texas Ranger um, M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez. The film was mostly shot around Texarkana and a number of locals were cast as extras. The world premiere was held in Texarkana on December 17th of 1776. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when when, uh, America became a country. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Before its regular run in theaters on December 24th. The film is an early example of the slasher genre released two years before Halloween and two years after Black Christmas and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, both in 1974. So, yeah, that's just so funny how this, this movie is based around such brutal crimes, but also has a history in itself with not only being directed by the guy who uh, directed the infamous Legend of Boggy Creek, but also is one of the very early slasher films falling right in between, you know, classics like Black Christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Halloween. I mean, it it's it's... To put that movie in the same category as those is a big one because those are all Black Christmas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween. Those are all my OG favorite slashers. Those are my fun slashers. Those are the ones like if I need a fun fun slasher to turn on, Texas Chainsaw, Halloween. Those are always good ones. I legit don't know how many times I've put Halloween on in the background. I I so many times. Oh my god, just like everything about that film. Like, even though Michael's not my top favorite, he... I've seen that movie so many times, I feel like I've analyzed it frame by frame by frame. I know exactly what's coming. I know every movement, every word, everything. Yeah. Because it's just a staple. So, yeah, that's just cool. The history of this movie and the relation that it even has to the murders and then it's kind of slasher 
history is is pretty amazing. Um, interestingly enough, though, the meta sequel, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, that came out in 2014, um, was directed by a guy named Alfonso Gomez Rijon, but it was produced by Jason Bloom of Bloom House and Ryan Murphy of American Horror Story fame. Um, and then this movie was not shot. Parts of the movie were shot in Texarkana, but the most of this movie was actually shot. So it's just kind of funny that they mention with uh, the Sweeney, the guy that was the, or how do you pronounce his name? The guy that was the prime sub. Yes, uh, Sweeney, the guy that was the prime suspect, how he was from Shreveport, Louisiana. They shot uh, the sequel, the 2014 sequel on Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah. They look a lot alike, though. I guess the same, yeah. the towns are very similar. Um, but yeah, the movie was released to positive reviews on October 16th of 2014. And as of February of last year, it has grossed over $100,000 in video sales. And I donated another dollar from Prime. You know, it's one of those, it's, like we said, it's one of those rare meta sequel remake reboots that hold so true to the original and the way that they sort of twisted the storyline but still had the original in mind so i just thought that was neat because basically the 76 one was supposed to be this is the true story of the 1946 murders 30 years later but the 2014 one was like Somebody watched the 1976 movie and is remaking the murders in real life now in 2014 in Texarkana again. So that was really neat how they did it. Because they almost made it like, that's what I was looking for, like a copycat. Mm -hmm. They made it like a copycat murder. Because obviously it wouldn't still be the same guy. Because good God, if he was, so the guys, if he, they said he was between his 30, if he would have been in his 30s. And the 40s. In 1946. By 1976, he would have been in his 60s. So I guess technically in the 70s, he could have still been committing murders. But by 2014... This dude's almost 100. Almost 100. <laughs> yeah, so it's definitely not the same guy anymore. That's Get on your feet. <laughs> Get up and make it happen. Fucked up that song for you, didn't I? Oh, God, it's going to be stuck in my head now. That is that is so um, funny. We hope you guys enjoyed the Texarkana Moonlight Murders in the town that dreaded sundown. Um, like I said, I highly suggest just to have a little piece of slasher 70s horror movie history. Get yourself a copy of the original town that dreaded sundown. I am legit going to look for I'm it. I'm going to try really hard. If I find two copies in Horror House, yes. I'll get you one. Please. Because I like gonna... I like the remake, but it's one of those rare originals. Like even though it came out in the seventies, I can still like watching it again was really cool. Because it's shot. I like you can tell it's first of all you can definitely tell it's by the same guy that shot the Legend of Boggy Creek. But I like the way he shot it that it looks like a doc. It looks real. Yeah, it looks real. I mean, it looks like you're very much in the same way that he shot the Legend of Boggy Creek. He did that to make it look like he was really shooting in this town and actually shooting this monster and real people. So he made this movie exactly the same, which I thought was incredible. Also I, enjoyed the little bit of humor they put in it too. Yeah. Oh yeah, me too. The the one guy that, was it the 
he was a cop and he's like, where's, where's the keys to car number seven? And he's like, did you look at the keyboard? And it's the only set of keys. One of the deputies. <laughs> <laughs> number seven. Right there. Got it. Thanks. Um, but yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed that. Um, that this was a fun one because I had always wanted to do an episode about this. And I thought with this being so close in relation to the uh phantom phantom zodiac yep (laughs) killer that this uh, is the phantom but i just i i hope my only thing that i couldn't find a lot of information on is i really hope that even though it's brought a name to the town and they do this movie festival every year and the whole thing that you know, there's still family out there alive um, from the descendants of these people that died. So I really hope this is still an ongoing investigation. I hope at some point it, we can at least find know, out who it was. But it, God, just like Zodiac, like I hope at least I hope one day they find out who it is. I hope they, you know, a lot of these people. It's it's coming close to running its course. That you know, like the Texarkana murders. This guy's long dead, but. Um, you know, there again, could, could, could there, could he have told someone? Was there like a deathbed confession? Was there a priest that was told? Was a doctor told? Was there a letter written somewhere? Is that cloth bag with the eye holes cut out hiding in the box in the, in the attic somewhere? You know what I mean? Like, somebody going to find that sometime when they move into a house and be like, um, I think we made a breakthrough. Yeah, this was in the, this was in the closet. In the crawl space. In the have attic. you seen Sinister? so guys i'm actually really excited about next week because we decided to talk about another folklore yes and i'll give you a hint under the sea under the sea okay uh so mermaids mermaids slash sirens kind of the same same family so if you don't really know what a siren is in Technically, if you remember the first um, story from the original VHS, that is a siren. And right. they actually made a movie called Siren with the same chick in it. It's amazing. And I think it's on Netflix, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Watch that movie. It's incredible. But we're going to talk about, we're going to heavily focus on mermaids because mermaids aren't nice. Like no. they're portrayed to be. And we're going to do a deep dive. You know, there's been... Was that a pun? Maybe. Yeah, they're horrifying. They're terrifying. They're not the Little Mermaid. And I can't wait to actually go into a little bit of that bullshit-ass documentary that came on Animal Planet a few years ago where they damn near had people convinced that mermaids were real. Even to this day. Yeah. Shit, they saw me, didn't they? It was... Fuck. Well, they <laughs> they bring up this thing called the aquatic ape theory, which is a very loosely, loosely, loosely based scientific theory that there is a connection between um, the webbing on our feet and our hands in relation to mermaids. That apes kind of went from water to anyway it's not i'm i am not a scientist i'm not even close to being a scientist so i'm gonna 
fuck this up. This is going to come out like Joe, Roger, Joe Rogan's stoner logic science. This is how this is going to fucking come out. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But, um, yeah, that Animal Planet documentary had everybody going. They were the same ones that made the Megalodon one, and they fucking lied, even though Megalodon might still actually be real. But Anything in the sea, I believe in, because we don't know. But I think that's why there. so many people bought into this documentary being real, because it's like, how many more movies are you starting to see about the deep sea? We know more about space than we do about our own oceans on this planet. And God only knows what the fuck is still down there in deep trenches. That's that why underwater was fucking, fucking terrifying, dude. What was it? Six feet? Six feet. They went a whole six feet. That's deep as fuck. <laughs> they couldn't even handle it. That's what she said. <laughs> If your if your vagina is six feet, oh my god, you're a fucking whale. What the hell? Anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, miles, six miles down, and then fucking like that movie was terrifying. I've never the only other movie that gave me the anxiety that movie gave me was A Quiet Place. It's, I God, yeah, I can't Jesus. wait to watch that again because I told you I was already like Cthulhu. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, just, well, anyway, it's out there. If y'all ain't fucking seen it yet, good God, it's already out there. Don't see the boy too, by the way. That's the best piece of advice I could give anybody at the end of this fucking podcast. I know don't I see the turning and don't see the boy too. Literally nothing to do with what, look, guys, 2020 ain't even half over yet, but I am not very impressed with the horror so far. Except for underwater. That's literally Otherwise, it. I am just. I haven't seen Hansel and Gretel. So, and Hansel. I have not seen Gretel and Hansel yet. So we're going to wait on that one. But so far, 2020 is just not. Y'all are not pushing it out. 2020 has was, given us underwater, which was great, great. And Birds of Prey. Other than that. The turning was awful. The boy, Brahms, the boy too, was terrible. Grudge. Um, grudge was not good. So, yeah, we, hey, look, the spy, the trailer for Spiral was incredible. I'm really happy to see a Saw series movie, so maybe that might blow it out of the water for the year. Also, guys, tomorrow, world premiere trailer of Candyman comes out on my birthday this year, bitches. June is about to be lit as fuck in 2020. I am so excited. I, I'm so fucking excited about this. I'm so excited. So we're going for tonight, right? Um, yes. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? <laughs> Jordan Peele, hook it up. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Jordan. Like DM him, hey, it's my birthday. I know you don't know me. But... <laughs> you don't know me from Adam, but um, can I get? <laughs> Yo, can I get some premiere juice for my birthday? Just say it. Well, you know, Tony Todd's gonna be out. Hey, we know you have like. You got Jordan Peele's number, right? Like, can you call him up? Just saying. What's he doing right now? What's it like? Three hours? What's what, what? What would the time be there right now? Can you call him so I can just chat? You can keep meeting fans. I would just like to chat with yeah. Jordan for a minute. Yeah, I'll give you it back when we're done. It's cool. It'll take long. All right, guys. So, a word from our sponsor. Calm your body down. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I think that was my favorite one yet, actually. That was perfect. <laughs> you know, sometimes. Um, all right, guys. So, uh, yeah, I know it's been kind of a crazy month, crazy week. 
crazy, crazy year. everything. Crazy decade. Yeah, so far. Um, it's February. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even, what is happening? So uh, everything is still up for grabs on the website. We're back up and running. Everything's good to go. Um, orders pressing out. So um, just get on the Etsy shop. Buy up. Buy, buy, buy. Um, I am trying to. Buy, 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 buy. Not that bye bye, even though I love that song. Um, it's one of my guilty pleasures. Uh, I will be trying to advertise more about the uh, body creams um, because we are getting towards the tail end of winter. Everybody's ashy as hell, and these body creams are amazing. Um, so you can get them unscented, peppermint, vanilla, or honey. honey. Everybody's ashy. Everybody, <laughs> white, black, Asian, everybody's ashy. So um, I'm trying to promote more of the body creams. They're three dollars. Um, y'all that's a steal these motherfucking creams are great and you barely need a dab to do you small container but it will go a long way um, and then the bath bombs as always are five dollars um, we have the multicolor ones that are going to be big coming up for Easter so if anybody's thinking about any Easter ideas early on um, the multicolored ones would be great for Easter baskets for the kids um, we still have the rose ones, the oatmeal honey ones, um, all available on the Etsy shop. Search Calm Your Body Down and uh, keep up with the follows on Instagram at CURBD. And thanks again, guys. Calm your body down. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing that. Anyway, so if you'd like to give us a follow on social media, please do. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Don't Fuck With The Original. Make sure to spell it out with to a T or you won't find us. Twitter handle is DFWT08811. If you have any questions, concerns, or want to say hey, please feel, please feel free to give us an email at DFWT08493 at gmail.com. Also, we are on Podbean, Spotify, Castbox podcast player and podcast addicts. Make sure to follow us, subscribe, and you will always know when we put out new episodes, not videos. Look at me doing a thing. So please come back for Look next week you. and we'll be talking about the mermaids and les sirens. Les sirens. Les sirens. We're going to say it the whole time like that. Les sirens. <laughs> mermaids and les sirens. <laughs> So fucking stupid, I swear. Oh okay, guess what? What if I said it like? Yeah. Le Char- Le- <laughs> Wait. Le no, I can't do it. No. No, it doesn't work. Okay, no. guys. Bye. bye.